Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. It's a great testimony. That really is uh, remarkable that when you honor God, God honors you. It's just a beautiful equation. If you'll remain standing, I'm going to pray over you. We're going to jump into the scripture. If I were to sum up anything about the Bible, the Bible reveals who God is and who you can be in him. In all of our preaching and all of our teaching, we want you to have a revelation of who God really is. Anybody here, you grew up with some misconceptions about who God was? about what God was all about, what he allows, what he doesn't allow, why he doesn't allow the things he does, doesn't allow us to do. And how many of you have grown up with a misconception of who you are? Somebody said something to you and it impacted you. Or somebody described you in a way that made you feel uncomfortable or did something to you. And it caused you to walk and see yourself differently, but not in the light of what God's word says. And so as we gather, as we look into the word of God, that's the revelation we want you to have. The revelation of who God is. And then the revelation of who he says that you are. And so as we jump into the scripture, Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, I might get through this. I might get through this. This might be part one. But I want you to catch a quick revelation of who God said the people of Israel were and what they could do because of who he is. And yet how that was impacted negatively. Just to line it up for you, the Israelites were sanctioned by King Cyrus, the king of Persia, to return back to Jerusalem. And he had sanctioned them and fully funded them to rebuild the wall, the temple, to resume worship and all the festivals. They were to resume Jewish life in the region. But there were some area residents that were there who didn't like Cyrus, that did not like Israel even more. And so when the people of God reappeared in the land, they attempted to hinder the rebuilding process with the following strategy here in Ezra chapter four, verses four through five. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah, the Israelites, and made them afraid to build. And they even bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purposes. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia. Doesn't mention it here, but also during the days of King Artaxerxes and into the reign of Darius, king of Persia. I want to entitle this message, Breach Points. And I firmly believe that God absolutely has destiny for your life, things he wants to do in you and through you. But you've got to understand that there is an enemy of your soul that wants to rob you of those things, wants to convince you of otherwise, wants to steal some things, wants to bribe actually counselors to work against you so you don't get to experience the things that God has promised. And if you're aware of that, you'll recognize the breach points and you'll navigate forward, protected, and taken ground every step of the way. Father, I pray for each person here at home, also here in the house. And Father, we pray at this moment for revelation, again, of who you are and who you say we are. And especially in a season, Lord, where there are a lot of opinions bouncing around about a lot of different things. There's all sorts of opinions about how government should be run and how society should function and how children should be taught and what age you should be allowed to do certain things. God, we thank you that your word is true and your word is written so that we can experience abundant living. So we pray for that revelation. We pray these things, your blessing over your people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand as you grab your seat. I want to welcome those of you who are at home. 
you know, we are in this series and we've been talking about reboots and we've been talking about the ongoing need for reboots and how they're activated in our spiritual lives. We've also been talking about the importance of regular updates to bring us back into alignment, just like we would with a phone, back into the alignment of good function. Uh, today, I want to be talking to you about defending your life from those ongoing attacks of the enemy and the impact of his lies in your life. You know, uh, there's a thing in cyber world called scripting attacks, and I'm certainly not a, a genius when it comes to, I have a phone, but that doesn't, make me, that doesn't mean I know how to write code for a phone. But I do understand the concept of scripting attacks. And what that is, while you're using your computer or your smart device, there is malicious code that's been written and it's designed to get you a little bit off of track, to function within this uh, rewritten code in a way that will cause you to deviate from the path you were on. You'll click on a link that's not what you think it is, take you to a website that you're not, you thought, you thought it was one thing, but it's really not, with fake, absolutely fake data to lead you into an experience where you are robbed of what's really yours, and potentially even you watch your device melt down and no longer function. That scripting attack is also paralleled in everyday life. You know, I believe the word of God has been given us so that we can experience abundant life. Not just survive a life, but abundant living. That's the heart of God for me, for you, for every single one of us. But in the process, there are these ongoing attacks from the moment that we're born to insert script, malicious code to distort who God is, to distort God's, uh, the view that God has of you within your own heart, your own understanding, to get you to ac actually engage with some things that will take you off a notch at a time and lead you into spaces where your life is robbed and maybe even fractured or self-destructs. Uh, we know that this is a very real experience as we read about the enemy of our souls. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. John 8, 44 says he is a liar, and that's key. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. The Bible in Luke chapter 4, verse 13 says he's always waiting for a more opportune time. There's opportune moments to strike in your life, and there's less opportune, and he's waiting for the opportune time. The Bible says, Genesis 6, 4, verse 7, sin is always crouching at your door. It desires to master you. But we see 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That someone is you. The enemy is always working to devour you. But we have this great promise in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, and it lets us know that we do not need to be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now, that's not always the case. I know growing up, I was very ignorant of his designs. And there's actually a few moments in my life, even now, where I can actually function in ignorance. But man, how great is it that we have the word of God? How great is it that we have the spirit of God who's, he functions to lead you into all truth. He's wanting to show you the proper next step, whether it's your career, parenting, your, your romantic life, or your, your investments. Truth is practical to every step of our living. Um, every one of us has been impacted by deception. Can you remember the first time somebody lied to you or lied about you to get something from you? I was thinking back to seventh grade, my first real girlfriend, okay? She sat in the seat ahead of me, and I was new in the school, and she turned around, she began to talk to me, and her best friend was the next row over next to her. But then there was this, this guy up in the seat ahead of her, he had longer hair, and he loved to pull out his banana comb from the 80s and comb through his hair, and it was long and it's wavy. I don't remember his name, but I'm going to call him Ricky. And Ricky, 
would watch Lynn turn around and talk to me in class. It was, exciting. it was an exciting time that somebody was interested in me. Small talk. We talked back and forth. And in the process, I got her phone number. It's back when you had phones on the wall at home, right? And so I'd get home, and I'd call her and talk to her. And that went on for about a month. And I remember watching Ricky a few times, watching her talk to me and watching him just be irritated and try to make jokes and try to do something to catch her attention. And I was like, you, you don't have a chance, buddy. Not a chance. You don't know who you're dealing with. I'm Steve Parrish. Right? Well, I remember one day when I went to walk into class, that one class that we had together, Lynn was waiting for me outside the door, standing next to her friend, and she had her books in front of her, and she was stern and angry. And I remember her looking at me and saying, you have lied. I never did what you said. I never did with you what you said I did, and I don't want to ever talk to you again. Don't ever call me again. And I remember that moment she turned around and grabbed a hold of next to her friend and began to walk into the classroom. I remember seeing a smirk on the face of, Ricky with the long hair and the banana comb. I remember being so shocked because I had never seen Lynn angry. I had never seen her upset. As she began to go after me, I was unsure what she was even talking about. When she was saying, you said things, that we did things, I was completely oblivious. I was frozen by these words and couldn't even come up with a rebuttal. I remember sitting in class, and I felt like there was a wall keeping me from defending myself, from being able to interact with my friends. And I thought to myself, I've got, I've got to figure out how to fix this. I, what is going on? And so I thought about calling her later that day, but she told me, don't ever call me again. And I was intimidated. Never forget, went to the Friday night dance that week because I heard she was going. This is going to be my chance to say, hey, what are, we, what are you talking about? And I was all waiting in the bleachers with the lights dimmed and the balloons floating all around. And then she walked in, standing next to Ricky. You tracking with what I'm saying? Now, here's the sad part is I just celebrated the most amazing 32 years of marriage. I apologize to no one. Uh, it's unfortunate for Lynn that she was distracted by young Ricky, but Rowena stayed the course. <laughs> And we've been enjoying a, a fantastic life together. But it's true that there will be people that insert themselves into your world, not just people, but circumstances, to rob you from some of the very best things in your life. Israel had been given the green light from God to go back to their homeland, to build their city, to start their temple life up again, to experience the presence of God and his blessings. And yet we read here in the book of Ezra where there were people who began to press in to keep them from having that experience. There was these moments where scripting began to be inserted into the storyline where though God had given their, them permission, an enemy stepped up and fought their script, looking to inject malicious code and engaging in several common, what I call, breach points. These are the areas of our life where the enemy likes to insert his malicious code to get us off course, to get us off track. And so over the next couple of weeks, I want to press into a couple of these breach points. Are you ready to come along with me on that journey? And I think you'll recognize that these are things that we all experience. Number one, the first breach point that the enemy is always going to push into will be to insert malicious code where no other code exists. 
You know, when we're young, we're born into this world, we don't have a lot of experience. And so the code is yet to be, a code of experience is yet to be written. And most of us have yet to experience the word of God and the heart of God for our lives. So we press into these experiences unknowing what's happening. And people at times will insert themselves or we will invite them into our world because of relationship to help us to navigate what's going on and how should I respond to this and what should I do? As we read Ezra chapter 4, verse 5, we discover that as the Israelites stepped back into rebuilding, something none of their generation had ever experienced, stepped back into rebuilding a ruined city, there were actually people there who bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purposes. Bribed counselors. In other words, they needed some help, they needed some instruction, they needed to learn what to do, and so they reached into their own circle and invited people to help them to rebuild, and likely reached into the outside world, architects, engineers, to help them rebuild. Not everybody who shows up in your world is for your best. I'm just going to tell you, I've watched it, I've observed it, I've seen it in my own life. There are many things that you've never experienced before where counselors are going to show up and they are going to play a key role in helping you to get to where you need to be. But in this case, the people of the land hired counselors from within and from without. They began to inject deception, to stick code in where there was no code. They wanted to establish a code that led God's people astray so that they could have the very things that they wanted. You know, as our kids were younger, uh, getting ready for school, we began to, Rowena and I began to talk for us. This was, this was our conversation for us, our great concern of sending our children out into the public education system with all of the challenges that are out there for that education system for unlimited amounts of hours every day to push into them, not only information, because that's not all that hits us from school, but values and even morals. Now, we've got school teachers in our church family, and I'm not against the school system. I'm not against teachers. There's a lot of great teachers out there. But we also know even our teachers will tell you that there are people out there who are much more interested about injecting ways of thinking and lines of morality than they are in just giving you information. And so what I was consider, concerned about is sending off my kindergartner, my first grader, my second grader into unsupervised someone to download whatever they think into my child's life. And so for us, we began to talk about that process, and we made the decision. And although it was a challenge to make this happen, we worked it out so that Rowena could stay home and I would work so that we could raise our kids and homeschool them. I know that a lot of people see this season of life right now as some sort of horrific curse that, to raise our own children. <laughs> I wasn't even trying to be funny. Um, but I want to tell you what, if you look in light of all the things that are going on in our society right now, if our kids had been in school during this season especially our younger children, I am very concerned about the, the, the storyline that would be injected into their lives that does not line up with scripture and does not line up to reality. How many of you know there's all kinds of storylines, revisionist history, all sorts of things. I mean, we're not even studying history in school anymore. We're studying our, our feelings more than anything. And so I'm so thankful that when my kids were younger, we were able to inject confidence. Who is God? And who are you? So the beautiful thing came eighth grade. We said, okay, 
You seem like you're ready to go. Go on into the world. And I was so excited when they stepped into junior high and high school, and they would come home, and they would say, Dad, I met somebody of a different religion. Um, can we have them come over to the house? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Have them come on over to our house. Are you confident that you know what you believe in? Yes. You interested in finding out what they believe in? Yes. Come on, have them come on over. And I can tell you that many, many of those students that they were friends with came to our church, came to our youth group, gave their lives to the Lord. And I was not worried at all. I remember one of our children, I don't know if they actually did this or not, but asked, Dad, they've come to our church. Can I go visit theirs? Absolutely. And when you come back, I want to hear the difference that you experience. Because I'm completely confident that if you are equipped and God has given you a revelation of who he is and who you are, it doesn't matter what anybody else tells you. You stand confident and you stare it down. And regardless of counselors coming into your world to move you aside, your children can navigate forward. Now, I know that's not what everybody can do, but that's what we did. I've been asked, what is the secret for your children doing well, being in church, being a part of ministry? That, for us, was one of the very key things. Not to keep them away from the world. They need to go out, go into all the world, right? Somebody? Somebody? So it's a beautiful thing. Thank God that you get the opportunity to raise your child, okay? Amen. It is your calling. You did create that child. So, um, But here's the, here's the thing. You know, with the absence of an experience, you know, there's a lack of knowledge. This scripting wants to insert itself into our lives. Um, you know, uh, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know, in a lack of knowledge, you and I allow knowledge to settle in that might not line up with scriptural truth. Amos chapter 8, verse 11 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when there will be a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, not of water, but in hearing of the word of the Lord. And what's very strange about the season that we live in, the word of God has never been more accessible than it is right now. Bible, you can't even tell me that you don't have a Bible because there are a thousand versions ready to download right here on your smart device. I don't know anybody who doesn't have a smart device hardly. Not only that, but there's Bible teaching, videos, podcasts. Rowena and I regularly listen to multiple podcasts during the day. Why? So that we can insert that knowledge so when we face something new, we'll be prepared to navigate according to what God has for us. So study God's word daily. Understand its context. Read it. Consider how it applies to your life. You know what? You can have all the historical facts down, but not have applied the heart of God's word to your life, and then it's just boring facts bouncing around in your head. Do not become a great historian of the Bible to the expense of God. What are you saying for my life? Also, study basic doctrine. You should know the basic doc what the Bible says about salvation. You should know what the Bible says about hell. Do you know that Jesus talked about hell more than heaven? And it's this great thing that hell is, doesn't exist that's being taught out in Christianity today. Jesus talked about the reality of hell more than even heaven. Why? Because there would be doubters to come along later on and say, well, I don't believe in that. Well, there's a, there's a thing that is not true called your truth. We're living in a day and age where everybody talks about, well, that's your truth. No, that, those are called opinions. All right? I, I love what a, um, uh, what, a, what a famous politician recently said. You're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Okay? That's a reality. God is true. Everything else is just opinions. Amen? Amen. So, breach point number two. I hope you got that. Press into the word of God. Know the word of God. Breach point number two. This breach point is where the code wants to overwrite truth with malicious code. 
Ezra 4.2 says, let us build with you. This is the people of the land saying, yeah, you're going to build? Hey, let us build with you. For we worship your God as you do, and we've been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. That's a fascinating concept because Nebuchadnezzar took the people of God away, right? And here in the world land, a later time of Cyrus, he's allowing them to return. But what you don't see, a lot of other nations going on, you know, function, history happening. And Esarhaddon, who was the leader of Assyria, actually wanted to take possession of Israel. And so he brought some of his people to live within the confines of Israel at this point. So when God's people returned, there were actually some foreigners living there who did not like Cyrus, did not like Israel. They were trying to establish the kingdom of Assyria, but they were outnumbered. And so what they said is, if you can't beat them, you can beat them by joining them. And so really what they began to do is play the long game. I want you to beware of the long game. There is a slow boil at work against your life. There are things that will insert themselves into your world. The long game, where they won't pull you off your game with a shove, but after nuzzling up next to you, sharing some hopes and dreams, drinking a coffee together. Oh, you had a bad day. Let me tell you about my bad day. Ah, oh, we cry together. We laugh together. Let's go on vacation together. And there is a slow boil that will happen in your life that is, that is very sinister. Maybe not by a person or a thing that has sworn allegiance to the enemy, but nevertheless, they have an agenda that is partially authored by the enemy to pull you out of the great things that God has for your life. Amen? Anytime God speaks to you what he has for you, I promise you it will be contested by the wicked one. It's the reality. And while he won't show up in his red suit pitchfork because he doesn't have one, he will show up through the narrative of other people where there's been a script placed into your life and the enemy will show up and over time constantly pressing through the long game to get you off God's narrative and onto a replacement narrative. I'll never forget there was a young woman that Rowena went to church with uh, who uh, had her heart to serve God, had her eyes on Bible college, had her eyes on ministry, and she developed a new friendship and then ultimately a relationship with a young man who seemed incredibly spiritual. Let me say this to you. Industry standard. Some of you will recognize this. Trust, but verify. Yes. You tracking with me? Trust everybody, but verify. So there was some unusual things that happened in this young man's life where he was so spiritual that on a Friday night when he was supposed to pick her up, he would, he would contact her and let her, well, actually back then, it was before cell phones, he would contact her after the weekend was over and he had disappeared to let her know he really felt led by the Spirit of God to go into a weekend of fasting up into the woods to call out on God and hear from God and how amazing that was. That sounds really spiritual, right? It's hard to argue against your heart was so hungry for God, you couldn't spend time with your girlfriend. Sounds amazing. And if you're someone who loves God and wants to be with somebody who's godly, oh, man, that sounds amazing. I want to tell you, there'll be people who insert themselves in your life that 
They haven't made a deal maybe with the enemy, but they want what they want, which could be contrary to really the trajectory God has for your life. Now, sure enough, it became discovered much later on that this young man had a, 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 a terrific drug issue. And in the process, he became infected, and she came down with AIDS, HIV. It impacted his life and her life and their family's life. I don't even remember. It's been a number of years how the story even turned out. But I want to tell you, trust but verify, okay? Now, once you've verified, you can really trust that. Trust but verify. You know, sometimes this pushing against your belief system, God speaks to you and he tells you he's going to help you. But then you'll listen to the news and you begin to get nervous about how there's no way that I can experience help in this season. There's no way I should cut back at work. How can I make up the financial difference? There's no way that I can go and pursue that course of action. How would this ever work out? And you begin to see that many times that this dialogue will try to overwrite the script that God has already placed in your life. When that doesn't work, sometimes the press will become even harder. It's the Trojan horse version of what's going on. It's like in Numbers chapter 22. You know, God's people were on a great trajectory prior to this story in Ezra where they were going in to possess their land. And there was a king uh, his, whose name was Balak, and he was the king of, of Moab. And he hated that Israel was taking possession of their land. Why? Because it took away from his land. And so he brought in a, a really a, a worldly prophet whose name was Balaam and tried to get Balaam to prophesy doom over God's people. Three times Balaam stepped up to prophesy over the valley of Israel bad things. And yet the Spirit of God came upon him and all he could do is prophesy good things. So the good began to flow out of his mouth. And, and King Balak was angry and said, how come you keep prophesying good? He says, I don't know. I can't help it. I begin to open my mouth, and the word of God just comes out. Those are a blessed people. And I will tell you, stand back and I'll look at you. You are a blessed people. Well, let me tell you about the little sinister plot that happened there, though. Balaam stood back and said, I can't curse them, but you can introduce a Trojan horse that they will buy into. And he suggested you take some of your beautiful single women and you put them out in that field and you have them to be provocative and they will lure off some of these young men, bringing a curse into the fold of the people. I can't curse them, but if they can bring that Trojan horse into their city, they will bring curse on their own lives. And sure enough, that happened. And you watch as these young men embrace these women they were not supposed to interact with. You know, sometimes malicious code puts us in a position to overwrite what we know to be unhealthy for our lives. How many of you believe God's word is true? Right? All of us do. We know that God's word says A, B, and C, but every temptation makes us question, but. It does. There are moments when I am tempted. I am a grown man. I've been following Jesus since 1985. That's 35 years of reading the Bible daily. That's 35 years of Bible college and being involved with ministry. And yet I am still tempted. How does temptation work? I see something that I know God doesn't have for me. He's prohibited. Why? It's not good for me. 
It's a substitute for the better things he has for me. But in being tempted, the dialogue is, yeah, but. It invites me to insert a new promise that overwrites God's old promise because I can actually get this promise here and now and enjoy it. And maybe if I actually do what God says, I'll never experience the promise that's being offered right here and right now. You know, malicious code works over time to get Christians to embrace things that are wrong. It is shocking today in our political environment. I'm not, uh, you know, be, be very careful. Jesus is not a Democrat or a Republican. He's aligned with heaven. You're going to watch throughout the years that political parties, they will adjust. They have adjusted. They will continue to adjust. I'm not saying don't be a part of a political party. I am. However, I hold on to that loosely because I hold on strong to the promises of God and the kingdom of heaven. That is my first and foremost loyalty. Okay? But after that, it is amazed how many, how many Christians are running for office who actually profess things that are contrary to Scripture. I know that there's no, Jesus, by the way, Jesus is not on the ballot. Has anyone noticed that? <laughs> so you are stuck voting for a flawed human being. Yeah. I got my ballot in the, can I just take a I got my ballot in the mail and I did a little bit of a jig. I was excited. I get to vote. I live in a nation where I am allowed to vote. I'm going to post my ballot. What, how do I decide how to vote? Okay. Is it because it's blue or red or it's a new color, right? It, how do I vote? You know, first and foremost, I vote for someone who is the most aligned with biblical principles that I can. I do that. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Jesus is not on the balance, so I have, all, I have never not voted for a flawed human being. It's okay for me to be a little bit, this is not really political, but talk about what we're dealing with. There's no, per, and, and a second warning, I have actually voted for the candidate I've liked the most. And that's a dangerous thing to do. How many of you voted for prom king and queen when you were in high school? They were the ones that you liked the most. That'll burn you every time. That's the slickest person, the smoothest person, the most uh, polished person. I'm not saying that I don't want to vote for somebody polished. I'm not looking to necessarily vote for the first wreck that shows up in the, in the flow of traffic. But I'll tell you this, that, that we vote for most aligned with scriptural principles. And secondly, that has policy that helps promote good living here in the United States of America. Amen. Absolutely, without question. Absol anybody alive here? So I'm excited. I can't wait to pull out my ballot and to check off. My, my, the candidate that I'm going to vote for that's most aligned with scripture and that's most aligned uh, with, a, with good, good policy that helps our nation uh, move forward. And by the way, just for those of you who might be listening, this is not even controversial. For those of you who have bought into the idea that Jesus is a socialist is way off base. Okay, let me just, let me just push into this just for a moment for our younger students in, that, are, that are listening. The Bible says that you and I are to see the needs of the people around us and to reach into their lives and help them, to give them a hand up. That is your responsibility and not government's responsibility. Here's the problem with, now I'm not saying there's not good social programs. I, again, I'm venturing a little bit off track from where you'd normally hear me talk, but this is really important for you to, to understand. The Bible is really clear. The man that doesn't work shall not eat. That's biblical principles. All throughout scripture, you're rewarded for your hard work, your faith in God, your relationship with him. Now it does say when you see someone struggling, you offer them a hand up to bring them back to a place of health. That's your responsibility. Now, here's the beautiful thing about when you do it. Guess what happens? 
Your goal is to get them help, right? Because you have no other motivation than your empathy and your love for them to help them up. But if I pay you to do that, what will be your motivation to see that person get well? Actually, your motivation becomes the money I give you to help that person get out of that situation. And you know what that turns into? Why would I ever want to end the homelessness if I'm getting paid to end homelessness? Because the moment it's over, guess what happens to my job? It's gone. So the beautiful thing in Scripture is we are to love our brother. We are to even love our enemy and to help them. Okay? But that's not a, a formula for government function. Okay? God is all about us getting up early in the morning, working hard, taking care. Scripture is just loaded down with that principle. So that's free of charge. Um, I'm going to finish up with a, with a thought, and I'll give you an example of something that's very concerning to me, but I actually have tremendous hope. Okay? It's amazing to me. Let me just press into one, one concept here that's political that shouldn't be political. It's moral. And it would be the fact that we have many believers who are, have varying stands on the idea of abortion on both sides of the aisle, all sorts of different ideas. Um, one of the things I had a conversation with one of my own kids who began to press into some of the statistics on this. I got a text message one night from one of my kids said, Dad, did you know? Oh, no, I, I didn't have any idea. Dad, did you know I've been doing some research that only 1% of people who have abortions do so because they've been raped or molested? 1%. In fact, if you go a little further, you discover that when you put people together who have been raped, molested, or even the mother's life is in danger, that only represents 1% of all abortions in this world. Rowena and I, the first pastors that we ever worked with, they had a woman that they called Granny that was hard to figure out what the relationship was with the family. It's Pastor Tom, his wife Elaine, two little kids, but Granny, who's older than Tom and Elaine, not a lot older, she's a little bit simple. She grew up in Puerto Rico, so English second language was a little bit of a challenge for her. And I discovered after a while that Granny was actually Elaine's mom. As a challenged young woman who, who was simple mentally. She was taken advantage of by someone in their community. They raped her. She became pregnant and the argument to her was you need to get rid of this baby. You're not fit to take care of a child. You don't want the constant reminder in your life every day of this tragedy that happens to you. Just hit pause on that just for a second. One of the greatest things that could ever happen into your life is that you stop running away from tragedy and you embrace the thing that can be redeemed out of that tragic moment. You could never stop all tragedy from showing up on your doorstep. But if you will lean into it and say, God, what great redemptive thing do you want to do? Elaine can grow up, meet Tom, go off to Bible college and plant a couple great churches and pastor thousands of people in her lifetime right now in the greater um, upper state New York and, and have three children of her own and grandchildren now. You know, but the, the scripting, the malicious code wants to come in and paint these bad pictures 
as if this is what's really happening in the world when it's really this big. And the truth is 99% of abortions are just a post inappropriate behavior act of contraception. It's, it's packaged in a phrase that says a woman's right to choose. Listen, ladies, that is your body. Men, that is your body. But the moment a life is conceived within you, you carry someone else's body. It's someone different. 2017, there were 862,000 abortions in one year. 20% of all pregnancies were abortions. That's 2,363 young women in an office exterminating the life of a human being. It's not just a personal choice, it's a choice to do something with another life. Do you know that there are 7,700 people that die every day and if you add the abortions to the people who die, that's a total of 10,000 deaths daily in the United States of America. And the greatest threat, 25% is abortion. That's the number. You know that during COVID, there have been 431,000 abortions. Likely it's to be higher than that. Because while church is not essential, apparently, abortions are. Two hundred and ten thousand people have died during COVID, infected with COVID, but not because of COVID. Twelve thousand have died specifically of COVID. Do you know that more babies die of abortion in one week than people who have died of COVID? I'm not saying that COVID is not a real thing. We know that it has an impact in our world. It's all sorts of arguments to sway this thing. We've got, Rowena and I, our pastors have a daughter. When she was inside her mother's womb, Leanne Metesius's womb, the doctor said, this child is gonna be born deformed. You need to abort this child. There are lots of arguments to overwrite the script of what you know to be true that make God's word at this moment, but. And yet, Leanne's daughter was born perfectly healthy. Young girl in church, up on the worship team now, growing in her life and in her faith. Why don't you stand with me? Let me just read you God's word out of the book of Psalms, chapter 139. This is what God says about children in the womb. Watch somebody yelling into the camera, that's not a child. Well, that is your opinion, but it doesn't line up with scripture. And what I would highly recommend is if you are a believer, to really look at your life, if you believe that abortion is an appropriate decision, to question whether or not that you've allowed that theory to be inserted into your life because of a lack of knowledge of God's word, or because it was rescripted because of something you personally experienced or went through. Everything that I'm saying here is not a desire for you, if you've had an abortion, to feel like there is no forgiveness. That is not my point. There's no sin that can't be forgiven. It's possible that you've experienced an abortion. You've gone through with an abortion. And my goal would not be 
um, to, to cause you shame, but to show you there's a way of freedom by embracing the word of God. Embracing God's truth will lead you to abundant living. Here's what Psalm 139 says about that thing that's within you. God, that's he's the you, for you formed me, my inward parts. You knitted my, me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in the secret place, God is forming every child in that secret place. Not hidden from you, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. My eyes, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that are, that the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. I think it's very interesting that it ends with this thought. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. So what I want to challenge you today is, number one, don't allow scripting to be written into your life because you've not read the word of God. Get your scripting from the word of God. And then as that scripting is attacked, lean forward into it with the word of God, regardless of the buts. Challenge the buts. We're gonna talk about this the next time we talk. Prophesy to the lies. Prophesy to the lies over your life. Prophesy to the lies over your life. God says you're the head and not the tail, but you feel like the tail. What should you do? Back up and cower away? No, you begin to prophesy. You begin to speak out the word of God over your life. Now, it's possible that you're here in the room or at home and you've bought maybe into a lie. Maybe you've believed something that somebody has said. And I want to invite you right now at this moment to prophesy the word of God over, to your, over your life. Just simple. Maybe you don't know a scripture, but here with me, here at home. Father, your word says that you formed me. Come on, say that out. You formed me. Your thoughts of me are precious. God, your days planned for me are amazing. God, you want to do great things in my life. In a world that's come off the rails, you want to accomplish beautiful things. God, you want to do great things through me. God, even if there are bad circumstances in my world, God, you can redeem those circumstances with your truth in Jesus' name. Lord, I invite you to be the standard bearer for my life. Regardless of what the world would say, your word is true. And I respond to your words. I say yes to the word of God. And where the word of God challenges my thinking, I'm going to yield. Come on, press into that truth. Where the word of God says A, but I want to say B, God, I will yield to your A. God doesn't lie, even though my feelings feel different. Even though my plans would come up with a different agenda, God, I will yield to your truth. Your ways lead to life. Father, I thank you for each one. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.